Brian's right. We've left ourselves defenseless. Guys, we need to make some guns. Guns? Guns only lead to trouble. Right, and when that trouble happens, we'll be ready to blow its freaking head off. Today on Legal Ease, we need to have a serious discussion about the balancing act between those advocating for gun rights and those advocating for gun control. Hey, greetings and welcome back to the show. My name is Bob. This is Legal Ease. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, if you are new to the program, especially welcome. Uh, this is a podcast where we're going to be discussing mostly current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, real quick, you can find this show on a number of different platforms. You can find this video version on uh, YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and now on Spotify. Uh, you can find the audio version on Anchor and Apple Podcasts and a couple others that no one watches, so they probably don't matter. Uh, you can join the brand new Legalese community over at Locals.com if you like, and you can even become a supporting member over there if you like as well. And you can actually do all of those awesome things that I just named and read a bunch of really cool articles that I've written, mostly on issues of constitutional law, if you join me over on Substack and you have links to uh, all of those sites down in the description. So, welcome back to the show. Uh, like I said, today we're going to be talking about gun rights, and there are uh, a few caveats I think I, I should probably address just right off the top here. Now, it's been a while since the last time I've talked about this issue. I've talked about this in a number of past episodes. This is an issue that is important to me, uh, but... Uh, I've gained a sizable amount of views per video and a decent number of subscribers since the last time, so I thought there were a couple basics I should just kind of touch on real quick. First, I want to admit my bias. I am an absolute unapologetic believer in protecting the right of armed self-defense and the complementary right of individuals to keep and carry firearms for that precise purpose. Now, you could consider the contents of this episode today something of an open letter to gun control advocates to respectfully explain why I think most arguments for gun control laws are at best based on a lack of required technical understanding of functional differences, uh, as well as dysfunctional difference of different kinds of firearms, as well as a flawed understanding of the gun control laws that are already on the books or that can be demonstrably shown to be ineffective at achieving their stated aims. And after watching this episode, I would uh, really encourage anyone who still disagrees with me on any of the points that I will be making here today uh, to let me know what you think I got wrong down in the comment section. I, I, I really do welcome uh, respectful debate and disagreement. I'm also willing to tolerate agreement, compliments, Super compliments, praise, adulation, and even messianic devotion. It's up to you. Now, this episode is not going to be a discussion of why I philosophically disagree with the concept of gun control. And just to be clear, that is very much my personal position. Uh, but that's not the point of this video. So in this video, I will be operating under the assumption that 
If a proposal for stricter gun control could demonstrably be shown to decrease the frequency of mass shootings, it would be worth limiting gun rights to implement that gun control measure. And for the sake of argument, this video will be uncritically accepting that claim as valid and then from there asking, are there any proposals for gun control we have been hearing from politicians and gun control advocates that would have a demonstrable effect on the future of mass shooting incidents. Now, the reason I'm using this format is that I believe that many of the people out there who push for gun control are really doing so in good faith under a genuine assumption that their proposition will save lives. I believe they're just simply misinformed and it really, I, I think there's no need to necessarily make the philosophical argument about the absolute importance and value of gun rights at a time like this. Because I, I do think the many sincere suggestions for gun control can be demonstrably be shown to be untrue. How? Don't worry, Homer. I have a foolproof strategy to get you out of here. Surprise witnesses, each more surprising than the last. I tell you, the judge won't know what hit him. Pipe down in there, Hutz. Now, if you are interested in an argument on the moral argument for gun rights, like I said, I've made many videos on that before. So whether you are a gun rights supporter looking for ammunition, by, by which of course I mean rhetorical ammunition about the value of protecting the right to keep and bear arms, or if you're a gun control advocate with an open mind, willing to be challenged on the philosophical arguments over gun ownership that may conflict with your view, uh, I would invite you to watch those. I will link to a playlist of those videos. And I just uh, want to say that uh, to make the process of putting together these videos more fun for me and hopefully making a serious topic a little more enjoyable for you. I like to interject humor into episodes like this. And I just want to say, if I end up getting a little snarky and saying something about a politician you like or a policy that you take seriously, I mean, no offense. Look, you can find plenty of other videos of me being a dick while discussing politicians I like and talking about ideas that I take seriously as well. Please don't take things personally. I'm just kind of a dick all around. And one last bit of housekeeping before we jump in. Uh, every specific claim I make, and there are going to be a lot of them, will be backed up with research and data. I will be providing links to all of that source material needed to independently corroborate my evidence down in the video description. And I do very much encourage everyone to look into and investigate those sources for yourself. So let's start with a basic premise here for the, the show. And this is going to be part one of two. This is going to be a long show, so uh, you'll be getting part one today. Part two will be coming out tomorrow. But for today, this is our premise. That just as a doctor can only recommend an effective treatment plan if they first form a correct diagnosis based on accurate assessment of these symptoms, policy analysts and policy makers 
must have an accurate understanding of the societal problems they are seeking to combat. Now, unfortunately, I think far too many policymakers appear completely uninformed when it comes to the basic factual realities that are related to guns and gun violence. And don't misunderstand me here, because I assure you, we all want safer communities. We all do. But the fact is that things such as the characteristics distinguishing so-called assault weapons from non-assault weapons are not factors such as caliber lethality or rate of fire. And proposals to ban scary-looking features like a barrel shroud or a pistol grip are, for all intents and purposes, proposals to force law-abiding citizens to own guns that are harder for them to handle, harder to fire accurately, and more likely to cause them injuries, even when they are being used correctly and for lawful purposes. And moreover, the fact is, semi-automatic rifles are simply not a meaningful driving factor behind the rates of gun violence. Now, with respect to gun crimes, over 90% are committed with handguns. Now, rifles of any kind, and, and that means what would be termed so-called assault weapons and every other kind of rifle as well, only account for, at maximum, 3-4% to 4 of gun homicides every year. And the fact is, an American citizen is four times more likely to be stabbed to death than they are to be shot by a rifle of any kind. And despite frequent claims that semi-automatic rifles are the weapon of choice for mass public shooters, in the last decade alone, over half of the shootings have been carried out with handguns alone. Now, on the other hand, semi-automatic rifles like the AR-15 are so well-suited for defensive action against threats in a civilian context, the Department of Homeland Security quite literally designates them as personal defense weapons. So is it any wonder then that millions of law-abiding citizens across the country also choose these types of semi-automatic rifles as their personal defense weapon? The fact is, far from needing to be protected from these rifles, law-abiding Americans benefit when they are allowed to defend themselves with them particularly in a situation where they are outnumbered. Now recently, a homeowner in Rockdale County, Georgia, relied on his very scary-looking semi-automatic so-called assault weapon to defend himself against three masked teens who were armed with at least one handgun who tried to rob him and other residents right in his own front yard. Now, Ironically, the rifle, deemed an assault weapon by many people, was used defensively to protect innocent people against assault, while the perpetrators used a non-assault weapon offensively to commit actual assault. I want a background check. No, a universal background check. I want an assault weapon ban. I want a red flag law.
You'll get nothing and I can. Now let's talk a bit about expansive background checks because this has been uh, a really big issue following this last uh, incident, whatever, the shooting down in Uvalde, Texas. Now there is a viral video uh, of Steve Kerr, who I am told is a coach for the Golden State Warriors, who I am told is a basketball team, demanding that we pass laws that already exist. Now, his argument has already been carbon copied all over social media by people simply accepting what he said must be true because of how passionately he sounded when he said it. Look, there is nothing wrong with passion. I'm passionate about this this, uh, topic too. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless, uh, unfortunately, like Kerr, that passion is considered a better path to finding truth than facts and research. And a belief that we need to do something, even if it won't be effective, because it will make people feel safer inside somehow. I've always known, somewhere deep down inside me, where, where the special place is, inside, forever. And the fact is that writing off informed disagreement as pure selfishness as this guy does just kind of makes you look like a jerk yeah go on and harvest yourself some more jerk plants to live in the jerk pond that you're the jerk mayor of so what exactly was steve kerr's proposal let's watch the clip that's going around since we left shoot-around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. And a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on HR8, which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple of years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So, I'm fed up. I've had enough. So, Steve Kerr says we need to need the Senate to pass HR8, which is a background check bill. Now, unfortunately, pretty much every single thing he said there is wrong on multiple levels. Let's try and get to the bottom of all of it. Now, 
he has simply asserted that passing this bill will, without question, prevent future mass shootings. He gives no reason why he believes this is true. He then claims that the only reason it won't pass is because Republican senators are selfishly choosing to consolidate power in lieu of saving lives. Now, he is, as I said, wrong on several different levels here. Because we all know that uh, the first thing every dictator and totalitarian regime looking to consolidate their own power at the expense of those they rule over always do, first and foremost, make sure that the people they will be repressing all have as many guns as possible, right? Oh, it's kind of the opposite of that, isn't it? Now, he doesn't say this exactly in this video, but uh, Steve Kerr is someone who, uh, like many gun control advocates, will often justify their calls for a background check by relying on a statistic that says 90% of Americans want a background check on a gun purchase. Now, this figure isn't quite accurate. It's actually not too far off the mark, though. Um, so according to a 2021 Morning Consult poll, they found that 84% of voters, including 91% of Democrats and 77% of Republicans, agreed that background checks should be required for all gun sales. And I, I would say it is probably for that reason, which would explain why we already have a comprehensive system for performing federal background checks on all gun purchases in place now. This is known as the NICS system. And if anyone doubts the NICS background check is comprehensive, you can go take it for yourself. And I really strongly encourage you to do this and prove your assertion true by experience by going to an FFL and doing a background check for yourself. Now, you don't even have to pretend like you're there to buy a gun if you don't want to. If you tell them, I'm considering becoming a first-time gun owner and I want to apply for a permit to purchase, any FFL will do that for you and it's absolutely free. And rather than doing a background check, for a specific gun you intend to buy and which you are hoping to leave the store with that day, a permit to purchase puts you through the exact very same NICS system. And if you are approved, that essentially gives you a one-year time frame to make future uh, purchases of a firearm. So really, please, go do this. Find out for yourself the exact process, and come back and then let me know if you think we're not doing enough. Now, the fact is, every time that we have a situation like this where guns become a big issue again, uh, people calling for the need for background checks that already exist always become a hot topic of conversation. Now, interestingly, you will invariably, each time it happens, find examples of anti-gun journalists who set out to buy a gun, all starting from the premise that they are going to show how criminally easy it is in this country to get your hands on a gun, and it never goes well. 
So Haley Peterson from Business Insider wanted to show how effortless it is to walk into any Walmart and leave with an AR-15. But after failing the next background check twice at two different Walmarts, she gave up on the process. And CBS undercover journalist Paula Reed went in to buy an AR-15 from a Virginia gun store to prove how criminally easy it is to get a so-called assault weapon. She seemed to be in disbelief that it cost over $1,000, and she also seemed annoyed that after deciding to buy the gun, the process to complete the background check took around 38 minutes, which you would think would be something that an anti-gunner would be happy about. That there is a comprehensive process that both the FFL and the FBI take their time to do this properly. Now, she did eventually leave with her AR-15, but when she went to transfer ownership to her employer, they quickly realized that she had lied on her 4473. That is the form that you fill out and is submitted to the FBI for the background check. So they realized she lied on her 4473, and she said that she was buying the gun for her own personal use. And then minutes later, she turned around and said she bought the gun for someone else. Now, this is a federal offense, and she was investigated by the Virginia ATF when it was brought to their attention by the FFL. Again, surprisingly, this somehow seemed to make her mad, which doesn't make sense because you'd think she would be happy that an FFL would pay attention to such a glaring inconsistency and you would think that when they report a federal crime to the government, that she would be happy the ATF takes the time to personally investigate every single illegal straw purchase. But apparently illegal gun purchases and federal crimes are only a bad thing when they happen to anyone else. Now... My favorite of, of all the uh, buying a gun for an anti-gun journalist stories gone wrong involved a gentleman named Neil Steinberg. He was a reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, and he set out to write an article called, and this is the actual title, quote, Gun Manufacturers and the Store That Sell Them to Make Their Money in the Dark, end quote. Now, judging by... That title, you can see that the, his theory why we don't have background checks is namely that gun stores and gun manufacturers want the freedom to make money by selling guns to people who they know shouldn't have them because apparently these manufacturers and sellers care more about money than lives. And according to him, they have no problem selling a gun to a violent scumbag. So imagine his surprise when it turned out Mr. Steinberg couldn't get the gun because he was precisely the kind of violent scumbag he was writing about. His application was rejected when his background check came back showing a history of alcohol abuse and wife beating. Now, I have a Washington Examiner article from the time that tells you about uh, that story with uh, Neil Steinberg. I can't find his original story because the Chicago Sun-Times took it down like two days after it went up because it obviously made them look very, very bad. 
Uh, and then I also have the original stories about the other two journalists from Business Insider, as well as from the Washington Free Beacon. Now, the only difference that HR8 would make is that it would add a provision that a sale or transfer between private parties be done through an FFL. Now, this does not allow the option for the seller to verify for himself that the person they are selling the gun to has a permit to purchase or a CCW license, which would mean that they have already passed a background check and that they can prove to the seller that it is still valid. And the thing is, there are very strict laws in place making this a felony. If we turn to 18 U.S.C. section 922 subsection D, we see unlawful acts. And this says that to sell, give, or dispose of any firearm or ammunition to a person who falls within one of the categories of prohibited persons. Meaning, they would be denied by NICS for uh, various things, including having a felony, a drug user, having a prior misdemeanor for domestic violence, being an illegal or non-immigrant alien, for being adjudicated as mentally defective, or being subject to a domestic restraining order, being a fugitive from justice, or being a former military member who was dishonorably discharged. How about that? I looked something up. These books behind me don't just make the office look good. They're filled with useful legal tidbits, just like that. Now, violations of 18 U.S.C. 922 subsection D are punishable by up to 10 years imprisonment. The fact is, the vast majority of people buy their guns legally, meaning they were given and passed a NICS background check. But I think perhaps the truly fatal flaw in Steve Kerr's argument is his overlooking the fact that we live in a republic where the election of those in the Senate are subject to the democratic process to stay in power. There is no way to square the argument that 90% of the people want something and that senators are telling those 90% of the electorate to fuck off and they are managing to stay in power. That, to me, seems like the worst strategy for re-election in the history of bad strategies for re-elections. So until someone can give me something more convincing, evidence-based argument that demonstrates passing a law that already exists and is already vigorously enforced, will have a discernible effect on the numbers of mass shootings, I think it is safe to concur that Steve Kerr's assertion that H.R. 8 will prevent future mass shootings is entirely unsubstantiated. Now, another somewhat novel argument that has been going viral lately, uh, that I've heard it from two different places at this point, uh, and one of them was, uh, apparently, who I'm told is a basketball player named Damian Lee who plays for, I'm told, the Golden State Warriors, the same team that Steve Kerr coaches. And the first one I saw was a uh, tweet 
from Mina Harris, who is Kamala Harris's niece. And this is a claim that is being made that in our country, it is easier to buy a gun than to buy baby formula. And here it is from Damian Lee. We need, you know, to reform that guns shouldn't be as easily accessible. Like it's easier to get a gun than baby formula right now. Uh, that's unbelievable. And, you know, this country that we live in. Now, the problem is that this argument is just a complete self-owned by Democrats. I'll say Democrats. The problem is that it doesn't prove what the people pushing it think it proves. As As we've just sort of been through, buying a gun involves, well, first of all, obtaining some sort of state ID with a photo on it and presenting that, having it uh, copied as part of the NIC system along with filling out that comprehensive 4473 background check form that then requires the federal government to process the information on that form for evidence to see if you fall under any one of those categories of prohibited persons that we just discussed under 18 U.S.C. 922D, then and only then can you purchase your gun and leave the store with it. Now, I will admit, I've never had to buy baby formula before, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't require proving who you are with a photo ID. I'm pretty sure it doesn't require outfilling a comprehensive form like a 4473 that asks you all kinds of probing personal questions. And I can't imagine that you have to wait around after you fill it out for the feds to run your information so they can verify that you are a parent of a child that isn't at an age where they do actually need formula. The fact is, if getting baby formula is a harder endeavor than that very thorough comprehensive process, that is a damning indictment of the government's neglect for the well-being of babies and mothers because they knew these supply chain issues were going to happen month before they hit, and they did absolutely nothing to mitigate the serious health risk to a newborn that can result from malnutrition. And to address the claim that we are seeing many people who really should know better make, namely that a background check would have stopped the Uvalde shooting from happening, the fact is, blaming this on a lack of an expansive background check is simply a non-sequitur. As the Houston Chronicle has already reported, the 18-year-old Uvalde shooter who was killed during the attack legally purchased his AR-15-style rifle that he used in the attack, which means that he passed a background check and had no disqualifying criminal or psychiatric record. Now, this was also true of the man charged with murdering 10 people in Buffalo, New York at the supermarket on May 14th. And the fact is that the vast majority of the times, this tends to be true of mass shooters. They get their guns legally with a background check. Expansive background checks won't do anything if they're already passing the background check. And... 
according to a recent National Institute for Justice report on public mass shootings from 1966 through 2019, they found 77% of perpetrators purchased their guns legally, while just 13% did so through illegal transactions, and those 13% were almost always two people engaging in what they knew to be an illegal transaction, usually of a stolen gun that didn't actually properly belong to either of them. The fact is we simply don't see straw purchasers going into FFLs and buying guns legally with a background check solely to turn around and sell those guns to someone who they know wouldn't pass a background check. And even for the small minority of mass shooters who have disqualifying records, an expanded federal background check requirement would not really pose that much of an obstacle because there is a lot of data available from states that have already put in place very similar expanded background check rules to what this federal uh, law, HR8, would require, which in practice would essentially require that all firearm transfers be completed via licensed dealers. Now, all the data we have indicates that these sellers simply do not comply with that edict. That means that a universal background check is only universal in theory. Well, that is going to do it for me here today. We will be back for much more uh, tomorrow. I have another uh, really good episode uh, coming up for you guys. We're going to finish up talking about this topic. So, uh... Yeah, I guess that's all I really got. Uh, remember to uh, subscribe to the channel so you always know when the next shows come out. Uh, let me know what you thought by hitting that little thumbsy uppy button down there or the little thumbsy downy button, you know. And definitely leave me a comment. And I, I love hearing from all of you guys, but especially I'm interested in hearing from people who have a different uh, view than I on gun control and hearing where you stand if you... Uh, you know, if you still disagree with me on some of the things that we've discussed here today, uh, just let me know what you think down in the comment section below. If you guys would do that for me, I would be most grateful. And so I guess all that's left to do is to sign out here. Say this has been Bob for Legalese talking about gun control. And of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est.